Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, it's good to see everyone again. I hope the dust is settling from Christmas and New Year's and you're uh, relaxed and ready for an exciting year in 2006. Yes? Mediocre kind of holiday hangover. Okay. Uh, I know the holidays kind of took their toll on me. Uh, In fact, Christmas was actually one of the more frustrating uh, experiences I've had. Uh, See, Colleen and I were going to have everyone over our place actually on Christmas Day. And in in a fit of what I now realize is is momentary insanity, we volunteered to host our extended family over our place for dinner and stuff in the afternoon. So in the morning, we we went to church and, and I shared message and then we came home to open presents and my two little kids just were anxious to tear into them and they squealed and delighted and made an extraordinary mess styrofoam chips batteries cardboard packaging all over the place our living room was a wreck by the time all was said and done and so this was around 1 p.m that we finished with the kids presents eat some lunch and I was like ready to crash you know it's like is there more of a prime time for a nap then on Christmas or the holiday, right after you eat. But Colleen had other ideas. See, we did. We had company coming. As I said, the house was in less than stellar shape. And so my wife was like, swing into action. Here we go. High gear. And start cleaning. Getting the place presentable for the company that was supposed to arrive in a few hours. And so clean we did. And I, I drew the long straw, so I picked the living room. I was like, you know, shouldn't be too bad in the living room. The kitchen's, you know, a wreck. Or the basement is always where the, the toys are. But it should take me about 20 minutes to mop the place up. Uh, but surprise, surprise, it took a little more than that. Uh, Kyle really wanted me to clean, and so I not only picked up all the crumpled wrapping paper, the styrofoam packing, ribbons, bows, tape, and, and smashed cookies in the rug, I actually <gasps> vacuumed. <laughs> and I swept up. And I dusted. It, my version of clean is like polar opposite from Kyle's version of clean. For, to her, for me, clean means everything is, is in the closet. And clean... <laughs> To call means actually sanitary and fresh. And so I actually didn't just dust around stuff on the shelves, but actually move them. It's tax master. Um, anyway, once I got in the swing of it, and I saw this was going to cost me my afternoon, I was like, a nap is out. I actually got into it, and I cleaned everywhere. Not, not just the couch, but under the couch. And I even cleaned out the fireplace. We got those, the, those fake Duraflame logs that you, like, burn. And, and when I removed the screen, I found we had a mound of ash almost a foot and a half high. <laughs> for like two years' worth of these Duraflame logs. So I like got the, you know, the uh, little sucker nozzle on our vacuum, <laughs> cleaned up the whole, the corners of the fireplace. It was ready to go. The thing was clean. Two hours preparing for our company. And I was more worn out than ever, but it felt good. A nice place to welcome our guests. So now comes to the part that really ticked me off. Because when everybody arrived... I took their coats. I was like, oh, welcome to the house, Casa de Lucas. And I took their coats and welcomed them in, got them a drink. And where do you think they went? What's the most popular room in your home? They went to the kitchen. Every person who entered our house took a right, not the left, and went to Tim's beautiful, pristine, clean living room, but into the kitchen. And it made sense at first, you know, because that's like where the drinks and hors d'oeuvres were. But then it really started to get to me. The kitchen is like the smallest room in our whole house. It's not finished. It's kind of cramped. But that's where everyone like floods in and starts milling about. They're talking to one another, laughing, catching up. Why is that? Why? Why is the kitchen so often the most popular room in a home? 
Well, it started to burn me up because I'd spent the better portion of the afternoon cleaning, and, and, and the company's supposed to be in the living room. And so I actually spent some significant energy trying to herd and corral people out there, lure them into the living room. I was like, hey, there's actually there's more space out here, guys. I put a fresh flame on, you know. But they, I even went inside and took the tray of appetizers, moved it out to the living room. But they wouldn't budge. Most of them actually just ignored me. They were deep in conversation with one another. They preferred the cramped coziness of the kitchen. And I see some of you shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. Why is the kitchen so often the most popular room in any house? Well, over the holidays, I came to realize, because when you're with family or the closest of friends, it's the place to connect deeply. It's the innermost sanctum where actually real conversation and relationships happen. In fact, you can often tell what level of relationship you share with people by where you hang out with them when you invite them to your home or your apartment, wherever. In in our house, for instance, when a neighbor stops by, they typically stand in the foyer or the lobby, the entranceway to our home. And the foyer is like where you welcome guests, right? People you don't know particularly well, maybe they're just acquaintances. For instance, over the holidays, a lady down the street from us came over to bring cookies. And I don't really know her name exactly, but I see her from time to time when I'm out walking our dog. And she rang the bell. You know, I was like, oh, you know, hey, you. You know, uh, and, and, and it was like, come on in. She's like, no, 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 Tim. She didn't know my name. I was like, oh. No, 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 I don't want to come in. I just wanted to say hi, wish you Merry Christmas. And so we stood there in our foyer, chatted briefly for a couple moments, just surface conversation, she went on her way. That's who makes it into your foyer, acquaintances, guests, just stopping by. Now, when friends come over, we usually gather in the living room. Now, this is not a picture of my living room, okay? (laughs) This is when, someday when I get a pastorate in like Vail, Colorado, you know, at at a beautiful like hunting lodge. Um... But friends go to the living room. It's designed to foster close connections between people. Think about a living room. Like the furniture is clustered to promote deep connections. It's the place to get to know one another better, develop friendships. But when family comes, or the close friends who are like family, it's the kitchen they're drawn to. Why? Well, one of the reasons is that a a kitchen is more intimate. You may have a large circle of guests in the living room sharing polite conversation, but see, in the kitchen, everyone actually lets down their hair and talks about what's really going on in their lives. When I was trying to herd everyone out of our kitchen into the living room, I actually heard snippets of their conversations. My dad was telling my aunt about his most recent cancer scan. Colleen was talking with my sister-in-law over in this corner about the joys of raising kids and letting her in on the little secret that it's not just joys. (laughs) My brother, who's an entrepreneur, was actually sharing about just his latest hopes with the business he's involved in, what he's been pouring his life into, and what he just his his dreams for the new year to come. The the kitchen is the place where real-life conversations happen, the room in which life is really lived, where folks share actually their their fears, their hopes, or their dreams with each other. And it's done in a smaller group with people who are more than just guests, even more than just friends, with people who you consider family. Well, as you know, the staff and leadership here at Liquid has been doing a lot of thinking, talking, and praying, a lot of praying about what God would have us pour our energies into in 2006. And from many of the conversations we've shared with you, we've come to believe that 2006 is going to be the year of renovating the kitchen, so to speak, here at Liquid. That is, we really want to reimagine and rebuild the context in which that authentic kind of life-on-life community happens. 
If a church can be thought to be like a spiritual home or, or the house of God in which his friends and children dwell, then you can say that we too have a foyer, a living room, a kitchen environment. I mean, a foyer setting even here at Liquid, for instance, is, is, is where the larger gathering of guests take place, like this worship service, for instance. You don't, you don't know everyone here. <laughs> in fact, I've, I've, I've seen many new faces tonight for the first time, and I want to welcome you into our home. Take off your coat. Stay a while. Or you could step into the living room. And those are kind of the, the medium-sized environments in which you can get to know and connect with new friends, right? You could go to prayer night, or we'll often have different events designed to meet new people or share an experience together. For instance, you'll see in your, uh, in your bulletin, there are opportunities uh, upcoming in, in February. Uh, Liquid Goes to New York City th- Theater, see the screw tape letters, right? Smaller kind of gathering. Uh, Liquid Goes to Killington, a ski trip in March. Those are the kind of living room activities in which you're going to have a medium-sized group get to know one another. But the kitchen in a house, or at least in the house of God, is the place where authentic small group community takes place. And not surprisingly, it's the context actually in which the most significant life change usually occurs, at least in our experience. Do you want to really go, grow? You really want to get to know your other brothers and sisters more intimately? You have to step inside the kitchen. See, it's around the kitchen table that people do reveal their fears or their dreams. And kitchen table talk isn't all about pleasantries. Think about kitchen. What what kind of dialogues have you had over a kitchen table, right? The nitty-gritty stuff of life, finances, singleness, marriage, God, jobs, girlfriends, boyfriends, children, all of that takes place at the kitchen table because it's the place where family meets. Jesus actually knew a thing or two about the importance of building a home or a spiritual life that invites people to actually go deeper in. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his followers about discipleship or what it means to actually follow him. And he gives an analogy to a man who undertakes a, a, a building project. Check this out, Luke 14, 19 through 20. Jesus says, um, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish In other words, Jesus is talking about what it takes to grow a faith that is holistic and complete. I mean, it's one thing to decide that you want to follow Christ and grow spiritually in 2006. Some of you may have said, man, I I need to grow. 2005 was a year of stagnation for me, but I I really want to mature. I want to grow. I don't want to be in the same place again when this time rolls around next year. And Jesus is saying, but you need to count the cost before you undertake that project. Look at how the message paraphrases this passage. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Jesus is talking about discipleship, about the cost of following him and actually maturing in your journey, that, that some people may find the idea of faith inviting, and they actually may even make a commitment to Jesus, step inside the house, but they'll never complete the project. They run out of gas or out of money. Their, their commitment to really go in Christ and build relationships that will last through stress, through crisis, will actually come up short, Jesus says. You've seen pictures of building projects that started but didn't get finished for lack of funds. You ever see those? 
I remember being down in Asbury Park and seeing this enormous rusting skeleton of a high-rise building that looked like it was in shambles. It was built right over by the, by the beach. Steel beams, construction materials were all littered at the base of it. And I remember looking at it because the iron frame was rusting and it went several stories high into the sky, but then it just stopped like mid-floor. And when I saw it, I assumed that it was a demo project. I was talking with a guy who lived in Asbury and I was like, so what are they tearing that thing down for? What are they going to put up? He's like, oh, no, 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 that's not being demolished. It was being built, but the contractor ran out of money, and that was almost seven years ago. And then he kind of shook his head and went, such a shame. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Point? Jesus says, it's entirely possible to take the first steps to following him and maturing spiritually and not really make the full investment necessary to sustain and complete it. The home builder in Jesus' story didn't count the cost of following Christ. It got too expensive, too pricey. Relationships are like that, costly. See, when you're building a house or renovating a life, you need certain materials to complete the project. You know that. Many of us are familiar with the basic building blocks that are necessary to grow one's faith as a foundation, right? You need faith in Jesus. It's the basis for any relationship with the living God. But you also need the Word of God. You actually have to study the blueprint for living to understand the design of the master planner for our life together on earth. What else do you need? You need a prayer life, right? Which is, it's the mortar that keeps everything glued together. An ongoing conversation with the chief architect. But you also need a fourth material to complete a vibrant spiritual house. And that's the one that's often overlooked, community. Fellowship, intimacy, and encouragement with other believers. The spiritual life Christ invites all of his followers to cultivate was never intended to be done in isolation. As we've said before, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. You must have traveling partners if you're going to experience steady, stable growth. Brothers and sisters who are committed to doing life with you so that you can build your faith together. And it's that aspect of discipleship, the discipline of being in intentional community, that is costly and often the most neglected one because it's hard. It takes time. It requires you to reach out ah, to that person over there that I don't usually see in the back row. It involves risk, right? The risk of being honest and transparent before someone involves sacrifice. You gotta, you're, you're, you're covenanting with someone to help share their burdens. Oh, i got enough worries about my own. <laughs> Just as the kitchen is the most important and intimate room in any house, I'd argue that small group community is one of the most vital ingredients to real-time spiritual growth. I should know. I spent many years trying to live out the Christian life apart from community. When I first graduated from college, it was like I was allergic towards people. I I believed in Jesus. I read my Bible, prayed each day. I went to church on Sundays. But I I didn't really want to get involved in my kitchen talk with others. I felt like people's lives were too messy. (laughs) They are. (laughs) It's true. Their problems and struggles are just like too much to bear. I was also probably full of a little youthful arrogance. Like, what did I have to learn from some silly Bible study group with other people? Surely I could do that on my own without having to rub elbows with strangers. And so you know what? I was a guest in church each week. And I had some casual friends to do social stuff with, which was nice. But I was also something of a spiritual orphan because I had no spiritual family. No one to whom I was accountable. 
no smaller nucleus to which I belonged. No, no band of folks who knew the real me and actually had, had the entree to challenge me <laughs> or point out flaws, <laughs> many, to pray for and encourage me. In short, no brotherly or sisterly relationships to help me grow, and I suffered for that. My first few years out of the fishbowl of Christian college were spent floundering spiritually. Kind of just drifted in and out of church foyers, living rooms of acquaintances, but never making it into the kitchen of other people's lives. The small group environment that I'm talking about, which we believe is essential to constructing a sense of authentic family here at Liquid in the new year, is central, actually, to God's plan of spiritual growth for every one of his children. I want to show you. Turn for a moment to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1. This idea of one-on-one community and connection is, is not like some fancy growth idea from the 80s or the 90s. The earliest basis we find in Scripture for the centrality of community is in Genesis 1 and 2. Just a little, look, just a little brief survey. Take a look over this. In Genesis 1 and 2, it's actually interesting. There's this great book called Creating Community by Andy Stanley. And he observes that in Genesis 1 and 2, we read the creation account and how God planned for us to do life. Just, just look at it real quickly with, with your eyes. With little effort, right? And with, actually, you can bring the lights up a tiny bit in the back. With little effort, but amazing creativity. God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Think about this. The breadth and the depth of what God was able to get done in six days is very sobering for any results-oriented type A person. Talk about cranking it out, right? Six times after God creates something, light, let there be light, <laughs> sky, Land, birds, fish, cattle. The text says what? And God saw that it was good. So from light to livestock, the assessment of his efforts is the same. It is good. He is pleased. Things are as he intended them to be. Then on the sixth day, humankind comes onto the sea. So the culmination of God's creativity has arrived. God is so pleased by his latest creation that as he assesses all of his efforts over the previous six days, his appraisal changes. With his latest addition, the thing he had created are no longer just good. They are now very good, right? In Genesis 1.31. God's prized creation has tipped the scales. With the addition of humankind, God like gives his five-star rating. But then the unexpected happens in chapter 2. After explaining in more detail his design and intentions for man, God says it's actually not all good. Up to this point, everything was as it was intended. But in Genesis 2.18, God says something isn't right. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, for years, writes Stanley, many of us have heard this passage quoted in the context of marriage, and rightly so. But the implications go beyond an affirmation of a marriage relationship. At its core... This is a primal statement about the importance of our connecting well with others. The marriage relationship being the most profound illustration of that reality. John Ortberg has made a helpful observation about this passage. He says, what's striking is that, capture this, the fall has not yet occurred up to this point. There's no sin. There's no disobedience. There's nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. What more could there be need for? Each word that he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. 
He's known and he's loved to the core of his being by his omniscient love-filled creator. Yet, the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God says this aloneness is not good. Sometimes in church circles, Ortberg notes, when people feel lonely, we will tell them not to expect too much from human relationships. That there is inside every human being a God-shaped void that no person can fill. That is true. But apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. No substitute will fill this need in you for human relationship. Not money, not achievement, not busyness, not books. Not even God himself. Even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone. And it was not good. From the very beginning, we were created for community. For intimate, one-on-one, life-on-life relationship with others. The kind that happens in a garden or in a kitchen between a small group of people and their God. You actually look no further than Jesus' own life, right, to understand the value of small group community. There's a reason Jesus wed his life to just 12 disciples, right, performing perhaps perhaps at the first kitchen club in Scripture. These guys ran together. They traveled the dusty roads. They shared life. They walked down roads, talking, praying together, breaking bread, discussing their life with God, and learning from the true master. Jesus sets the standard for intimate, intentional community. And shows how it's essential to our development as God's children. Unfortunately, in many people's lives and in most churches, community is the building material that I believe is one of the most often neglected. Why is that? It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Our culture encourages us to be everything else but that. To be independent, not dependent on others. We're taught to be isolationists. You're surrounded by people at school, during our commutes, at work, emails on the phone. Ah, at the end of the day, who wants to commute and connect with all those more people? You know, tell me you haven't done that, where you've driven to Liquid and you see the parking lots full of cars. and It's like, ah, I just want to go home. (laughs) Go for the TV or the the treadmill at the gym. Not good. (laughs) Seeing one another on Sunday. In a large group gathering like this for corporate worship, good. Waiting another six days before you're in fellowship again with other believers, not good. (laughs) We neglect small group community because it's costly, it's hard, it's time consuming. But on the other hand, I want you to consider the high cost of not being in community and trying to do your spiritual life all by yourself. And there's all sorts of relational maladies that await those who try to hoof it on their own. Enemy attack is one. I mean, as we've often said at Liquid, the spiritual life is best compared to a war zone. That's it. It's not a cakewalk. We're told that an enemy of our souls is committed to attacking us on a daily basis, keeping us estranged from God, suspicious of others. Jesus says the thief has come to steal, kill, destroy our lives. He does it in a million ways, from temptation to discouragement. We're all in danger of being taken out and just rendered useless to God. Here's an interesting kind of fact, though. I came across, interestingly, in in another study I'm doing, um, you know, obviously, believers are often called sheep. Jesus is sheep. Did you know sheep are rarely, if never, attacked when they're in herds? Sheep are almost always attacked when they become isolated from the rest of the flock. That's why in Jesus' parable, he leaves the 99 because they're safe in the herd and goes off after the one. 
Another danger of being in isolation. On our own, you ever notice how your point of view on day-to-day things tends to get cloudy and confusing when it's like it's left just up to you? <laughs> your highs are real highs, but your lows just bottom out when you're on your own. Ever notice how like, simple decisions somehow like, get blown all out of perspective when you're alone or you're tired? Like at night, at like, man, my hour is 10.30. I never send an email after 10.30. If you've ever gotten an email from me at 10.30, ignore everything I said. It's probably way out of proportion. The Bible tells us their wisdom in a multitude of counselors. In other words, being in a relationship with trusted friends who can speak into your life or give you a much-needed perspective on decisions or challenges that are facing you. And finally, I think the worst is that disconnected people actually, well, let me say it, they tend to be more selfish. (laughs) It's true. A narrowing kind of occurs when you're out of community. You get focused almost exclusively on your own agenda, priorities, your schedule, your desires. And when that happens in the life of a Christ follower, it's tragic. Probably the mortal mortal sin because it keeps us from fulfilling the dual purpose that Jesus says our whole life is supposed to be about. Go to your bulletin in a minute and check out Liquid's vision statement. We printed it in here. It's in the inside of the, uh, the gray fold there. Our vision, it says, love God, love others, the rest is details. Remember that? At least that's what Jesus said is the point of our life here on earth in Matthew 22. Toward that goal, liquid exists to help Christ followers grow in their passion for God and compassion for others through innovative teaching, dynamic worship, small group community, and loving outreach. In other words, we simply said, what are the two things that Jesus says our whole life is supposed to be about? Loving God, the vertical relationship, and loving others, the horizontal. Where in the world are you going to love and serve others as Christ loved and served us? In the way Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. The Bible tells us that kind of horizontal love starts in the family of God. In the kitchen, Jesus puts the waist apron on. And then as we love each other, that love is supposed to overflow to the world around us. That's the idea. What starts in the kitchen is eventually supposed to flow out into the streets, but it always starts with the family of God in the kitchen. See, the human propensity is to drift. You guys know this. To kind of just drop out, forget God, or or isolate or estrange ourselves from other people. And the Bible recognizes this. The Bible is nothing, just realistic. <laughs> and it instructs us to intentionally combat that and meet regularly for mutual encouragement and accountability. The writer of Hebrews exhorts believers, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Apparently, some of the earliest Christians decided they didn't need regular community. They were prepared to go solo. And so God actually commands community, regular fellowship, so that they wouldn't drop out of the race and instead grow in their capacity to love God and others well. I saw a recent example of the power of community just this past week with my friend Tony Iannacone, who many of you know lost his wife Judy after a long battle with ovarian cancer. And... uh, Tony is just an incredible, incredible man. A close friend to, I know, many of us here. Um, and he's been an integral part of, of, um, of TCs, which the Transformational Communities, which up to this point has been the main type of small groups we've offered. And it was amazing because through the devastating loss of his wife earlier last week, Tony, Tony was carried and supported and, and comforted and cared for in the most incredible of ways 
by the many brothers and sisters who walked with him through that devastating experience. I can see some of the faces of those people even tonight. A sister who actually laid in the bed with his wife during her final hours, just stroking her hair. Brothers who took Tony out just to eat, just to, just to get away from it all, just to sort through all the, 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 the tangle of emotions. It, it was strange. I was standing in line at Judy's Wake um, last week, and again, just with tremendous respect, it, it was just crazy because it was like a line for Disneyland. The line snaked out the door into the parking lot. So many people were there. And when I got up to the front, it was amazing because I was kind of taken back because Tony just kind of hugged me and he startled me with the most unlikely of responses for a man who was walking through unfathomable grief. He said, Tim, my heart is just bursting with joy. I didn't know I was so rich. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm overcome by this. The, 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 the love, the outpouring of my brothers and sisters. He didn't mean, and I realized he didn't mean just his blood relatives but the brothers and sisters from his family of faith too. Tony was connected, and he was loved, and he was cared for during a time of crisis and loss, and encouraged by his spiritual family in the midst of devastation. That's kitchen connection. The blessing of being in intentional community where you truly belong, and you open up your life and intertwine it with others. So that's our goal in 2006 at Liquid, to renovate the kitchen here in our church. And, and really, it's not just it's not demoing it. It's actually just expanding it so that more and more people can actually experience that kind of closer-knit community that's essential to full maturity in Christ. We actually already have a foundation laid, the foyer or larger group gathering we have here on Sunday nights. And the living room is, is pretty well established with folks to make friends. And we're going to be working on that in the months to come as well. But the kitchen is that in the house is about to undergo a major renovation. As I said, up to this point, we've only offered TCs or transformational communities. And, and we want to build on that foundation and offer more. And so we've appointed our foremost architect actually to the task, um, Erica Runyon, who on January 1st actually came on staff full time in 2006. As, yay, go right, Erica. As director of small groups. Want to come up, Erica? And I want to invite Erica up just to tell you a little bit about our renovation plans for 2006 and, and how you can be involved. Erica, just, I don't know, maybe just tell us a little bit about kind of the evolving vision for the Liquid Small Group Network. Um, I think we're just looking to cram as many people in the kitchen as humanly possible. Just, <laughs> just side by side like sardines. No, I mean, obviously what we're trying to do is we're trying to connect as many people um, to each other, I think. Uh, I know when I first started coming to Liquid three and a half years ago, whenever it was, um, you know, I came in, I was in the foyer as a guest, a friend invited me, and, you know, I was kind of hooked right away, so I moved into the living room, I started volunteering, but, you know, one of the things we do at Liquid really, really well is we kind of um, lay this vision for what your life could be if you're truly following Christ, if your heart is fully alive, um, but I didn't know how to do it because I was trying to figure it out on my own. And, you know, I volunteered with the kids, talking to four-year-olds about how to actually live in Christ, not overly helpful. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, so it was, I really needed people to help me figure out what, what does it mean in this moment to follow Christ? What does it mean for my life, the things that were really, I was facing? And so, you know, for a long time, that was really, really lonely, trying to figure it out on your own. And I know there's a lot of people here who 
feel like they're on their own and trying to figure all this out. And um, I know when it started turning around for me is when I actually joined a, a TC, a transformational community, and I had a small group of women who I could start kind of experimenting, figure things out. They showered me with grace as I tried to figure out what it meant to actually walk in Christ's love and not just, you know, you know, look at it from the outside, but actually mm-hmm. dive in. And so that was a tremendous activity or tremendous thing and gift for me. And I think that's what our vision kind of is. There's a passage in First Thessalonians that says, you know, build up hope so no one is left out and no one is left behind. Right. And to me that is, you know, that might be overconfident, but what I want to make sure is that no one is left out and no one is left behind yeah. in, in, at Liquid. One of the things we're very fortunate in that we have a tremendous foundation laid. I mean, the mm-hmm. TCs were originally started by Pastor Glenn, obviously. Yeah. And I think just in December, we graduated a, a group of like 80 people yeah. from them under Drew Newkirk's leadership. Wonderful. But we realized what we need to do is, ex- is, is really expand in a way mm-hmm. in the renovation and offer more entry points for people who might be in a different season of life or have a different schedule. So can you tell us a little bit about the types of groups now that are going to be available? Well, one of them will be transformational communities. People will have those as, you know, people who really want to connect intimately on, you know, and, and kind of really share mm-hmm. the deepest part of their hearts. There'll be that option as well. But we'll have a lot of different options for people to kind of hopefully meet people where you are on your travel with, with God. So, um, for instance, one option is, season of life. And what I want to do now, just as I go into this, is, is point everybody to the green sheet of paper that you hopefully have received, because wonderful Jen and Chris gave them out. This is, um, this is just kind of like an illustration. These are not the actual small groups that are happening. But what they are is, is kind of a vision, so you can kind of catch what we're trying to do here. So we kind of put together like a menu, as if these were the actual groups. They're not, actually. Every, every person, every email on here is bogus. So don't email, you know, Susie Schultes is actually my aunt. If you email her, she'll be like, I don't know who you are. Um, so it's just to give you an idea. But when we look at kind of the groups that we're, we're talking about here, for instance, one is season of life. You look at the first group there, we're married, now what? Right? Young married people. You know, they have particular challenges facing them, you know, in, in their walk. Single single moms, you know, just out of college, retiring. I mean, there, there are so many different stages of life that impact your, yeah. your spiritual walk. So we're, we're looking for people to lead groups that are based on season of life. We also want to offer groups that are based on topics or Bible studies. So, for instance, you might really be into a particular author and found that, for instance, I know a lot of people have found Beth Moore to be an author that has really helped them grow spiritually. Maybe you'd want to lead one on Beth Moore studies. That's one that's listed right there. On the back, we've got um, one that's based on a topic, every man's battle, someone struggling with lust. If you have a particular topic, for instance, the one above it is he said, she said, is kind of about dating. If you have a particular area of your spiritual life that you, would, you think would be a great topic for a small group, we're looking for really for kind of topical uh, also, if you like a certain areas of the Bible, and people don't know the Old Testament enough. We have a lot of people that don't know a lot about the Bible. That'd be a fantastic topic or okay. Bible study. Uh, we're also looking to base them possibly on spiritual level. We have a lot of people. I know I was really new to, to Christianity when I came to Liquid. I think 
you know, there's a lot of people that are just starting out in their walk. Yeah. But then there's a lot of people that have been, you know, Christians their whole life. We're looking maybe to start some groups that, that reflect those different levels. Uh, for instance, here we've got an example of an Alpha Course dinner club. That's, you know, for people who are investigating Christianity, ha- get together, have dinner, talk about the main points of it. So spiritual level is another possible type of small group. And lastly, geography. The average person drives 35 minutes to liquid. Okay, that's a long time. And thinking that, you know, there's probably a lot of people that drive over an hour. And we know these people need yeah. spiritual community. Let's get spiritual community by them. In Bergen County, for instance, is the example here. Or um, down the shore in the New right. Brunswick area. So we're looking, you know, to have small groups that can reflect one or all of these. And then what will happen, and you can see this on this green sheet here, is that then the groups will have different kind of makeups. For instance, some of these uh, have like a very specific composition. It's men, you know, it's single women. Or it could be open to anyone, right? They could be closed, you know, no, we have a certain number of people and that's all the people that are there. Or it could be rotating. Anyone can come anytime. They can meet every week. They can meet in a restaurant. They can meet in a home. There's really no rules. Yeah. not really about rules here. So, you know, it's going to yeah. depend on, on the leader of the group and what their passion is. It was interesting. I think I, didn't, I saw a perfect example of it at our newcomer's reception after the first service, just getting to meet the new people down there. And, um, and one guy was from Manhattan. The gal he was with was locally here, right in Bernardsville. And then sitting next to them were two guys who drive up from down the shore. They're down in, like, Red Bank. Yeah. And so it's like, what do these folks have in common? <laughs> uh, geographic region all over the place. But we're really hoping that some of you now, even as you think about maybe mm-hmm. even potentially leading one, because when you renovate a kitchen, it means we have a whole new strata of leadership needs that go along with it. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that leadership and participating? Um, we're obviously looking for people to help us. We, we can't host, you know, the 400 people that come to Liquid on a regular basis ourselves, and we don't want to. There are so many amazing people here ready to be leaders, yeah. ready to, to kind of take what Christ has done in their own lives and share it with other people. So if you think that might be you, hopefully even reading this, you, maybe you're starting to feel like, oh, yeah, I could lead a prayer group on this, or I could do this. Um, we want you to, to get involved. And so there's a couple things we'll kind of ask you to do. First of all, if you think you might be interested in leading a group, one of the things we're, we're really excited about is we're trying to make it not just about please serve and help other people. We really are dedicated to making it a growth experience for you. So we've set up like this whole entire kind of um, structure to help support leaders that includes one-on-one meetings with the staff, which includes um, small group meetings with leaders, includes spiritual guidance and counseling from Glenn, who is our pastor of spiritual formation. So like we've got a really, I'm really excited about what it could do in the leaders' lives. Um, And we're going to ask that leaders try to lead with somebody else so you're not lonely and alone out there leading a group, you know, in Bergen County and the Applebee's all by yourself. So, um, (laughs) you know, just sitting there. Where is everyone? No, you're going to have... You're going to have um, partners, and we want to make this an exciting, fun experience as possible. If you think you're interested in leading, I'm going to be up here at the end of the service with um, yellow sheets, which just have some information. Or if you're ready, if you're like, bring it, Erica. And I'm like, okay, let's bring it. Here it is. This is the application. I just, I just watched Bring It On the other day. Does anyone know that movie? Is that the best movie ever? Um, sorry. Um, 
this is an application for a leader, and you can just take this and fill it out, because next week at 7 o'clock here, downstairs actually, we are going to have a meeting for potential leaders. And really, if you're even thinking about the possibility of maybe you might want to be a leader, we'd ask that you come 7 o'clock on January 15th downstairs in Fellowship Hall. We'll have food okay, and, um, and find out about being leaders. So got questions about it, come see me, get the application tonight, come to the meeting next week. If I just want to be in a small group, I'm interested in participating. Awesome. Um, basically, what we're hoping to have happen is have them launch by the middle of February. Okay. And what we're hoping to happen is on the 12th, we're, we're hoping to have kind of like a mixer where we'll have the leaders and anyone interested in a group kind of get together, see if the spirit moves us towards certain groups. Okay. And if that works, great. But basically, on that day, on the 12th, okay. we'll probably have sign-ups. Okay. So just keep an eye out. That's, that's adjustable, guys. I mean, who knows what will happen. Right. But that's really where we're trying to – that's the okay. time frame we're going with. So three to four weeks uh, to sort mm-hmm. out kind of what the groups are yes. and what we'll have. And you'll be yes. up here tonight with the application. Absolutely. So right. if anyone has any questions or anything, you can come up or email me at Erica Liquid Church. Erica Runyon, would you give her a hand? Thank Bye, you guys. for that, Thanks. Erica. Appreciate that. I want to admit, um, by the way, just at this moment, because I would assume there would be a certain percentage of folks that are just kind of like tuned out, like, ah, it's not for me. Um, There are many good reasons, actually, for many of us to take a pass on small groups. The most obvious one being that maybe you've been in a small group before, uh, and you know how hard it is. It isn't just all like, best friends, uh, and, you know, like, easy commitment week in, week out. You've got to get along and put up with folks, you open up your life to others. You, 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 you're covenanting to care for and support each other. And that's costly. Perhaps the costliest of the building materials in the life of a disciple of Jesus. But you're going to experience a range of emotions that accompany any relationships. You'll share friendship and joy with some, and you know what, friction and conflict with others. But in the midst of it, you're going to be growing in the vital arts of patience, of grace, forgiveness, and restoration as well. In short, it's an invitation to join a family. So this will be the place where actually you're missed if you're not there. As I said in our Ancient Future Church series last year, it's sometimes tough to feel known in a congregation this size. You can walk in, be anonymous, leave out the back door, all without really connecting to anyone. And that's okay to start. But to be known, to be actually missed by others if you're not there, is what gives community meaning and value. You need family to share life with. So 2006 is the year of renovating the kitchen at Liquid. Our first step is developing this network. Um, And our goal is really to help each person who calls Liquid their church home to move deeper in from the foyer as a guest. Come on Sunday night with a big group of people. But it's all you do. You're just a guest in the lobby, a visitor not necessarily knowing anyone. Move into the living room. Meet new friends through middle-sized events like going to dinner and a show or a ski trip with others. But if you really want to become family in the new year, You've got to step inside the kitchen. I want to pray for us and ask God just to bless our plans for expansion and renovation in the year to come. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the designer, actually, of community. You live, Lord, in community. It's not just God. It's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this beautiful harmony and fellowship of joy. Lord, we're made in your image. We're made at our deepest impulse for relationship with you in connection with others. I pray, Lord, um, that you'd bless just our modest efforts. Lord, we don't know how all this is going to work out. It seems beyond us in some ways, Lord. It's flawed. 
but we just ask that your Holy Spirit would superintend to do some great things. Um, do it in the hearts of each person here, maybe people who are even feeling like, ah, oh, this is what I've been missing, that they don't want to be in the same spot next year, and that this would just be a tool, Lord, part of the equation, that you grow them and do some huge stuff in their life, Lord. I ask that you would be over all of our hopes and dreams, that you direct them and just keep them in concert with yours, Lord. We want to be faithful to you, and we want to be more like you at this time next year. So do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In his name we ask, amen.